biology has set you up to be perpetually remade as a better version of yourself as you go through your life cycle. Welcome to the HGW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind-the-scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold-pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey, Zoe. Hi, Erica. Do you want to talk about your armpit? No. <laughs> Let's just say that coffee is um, makes me sweat. Is that what it is? It's the coffee. It really is because mm. if I don't drink coffee, I had two not cups of coffee this not morning. Tequila and mezcal and shh. We don't talk about it. Okay. Just checking. This is a wellness show. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, your your, your pits are looking super healthy and active. This is for my glands. <laughs> no, I remember, listen, when I was little, I remember telling my dad, I was like, oh my God, I like sweat. I like... I was really self-conscious. Like even in elementary school, I was like, I sweat like a lot. And he was like, Zoe, with his like mild Greek accent. He was just like, it's good. It's healthy to sweat. You're supposed to sweat. Your pores are working. He's like, you know what happens when people, he's like, if you don't sweat, it's disgusting. You know what happens? I was like, no. No. And he's like, you get fat. I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) What? All right. So I was like, Guess I'm healthy. Mr. Zakutis. Um, yeah. All right, Dr. then. Dr. Zakutis, thank you for that. Dr. Zakutis. Um, okay. Well, speaking <clears throat> of other times that maybe you break out in sweat. Yeah. Um, um, we had a chat <laughs> with uh, Elisa Vitti, who we adore. The hormone mm. whisperer. We had her back on. Talk about the big M word. Menopause. 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 So not a scary word. And we really all just need to be more comfortable talking about it. it. Turns out it's kind of a sexy word. And the episode ended pretty sexily. We ended up talking a lot about sex. We did talk a lot about sex. Which I, I think as a culture, we're not talking about enough anyway in general. So it was nice to have that conversation with her. Yeah. I feel like we already kind of teed up for an episode three with, with Elisa. Yeah. Um, but it was really, it was a great conversation because I feel like she helped to clarify what the actual experience is of menopause and perimenopause, which is where we all are. Yeah. And- perimenopause starts at 35, everybody. Yeah. So Surprise. welcome. <laughs> fun to be here. But it's great because I think that she really, she's she's super helpful in just giving you kind of tactical, you know, tips on what to look for and how to sort of set yourself up to have like the smoothest possible transition from one hormonal stage into the next. Yeah. And to calm the F down about what it actually means. Exactly. Yeah. It's it doesn't, really, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's not. No. And you know what else is funny? Menopause. That's a thing. Menopause is a thing. And we need to talk about it. And, and we people need to hear about it and mm-hmm. understand that this is not just a lady phase. Yeah. So let's hit pause there. Hey. And nice. uh, let her let her take it away. 
thank you so much for being here and coming back to play with us. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. Anywhere where women are gathered to talk about their hormones, <laughs> I am <laughs> um, Well, you know that our favorite topic to dive into today is around menopause. But before we get into that, I actually just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you again for your support of me and my process last summer when I was going off the pill because I have said it a million times at this point, but the conversation with you really like tipped things over for me in such a huge way and made me realize that it was the sooner the better that I could do it. And the support that you offered when I was reaching out to ask you questions was so incredibly helpful, especially given the fact that my doctor was so phenomenally unhelpful. Um, And I'm very pleased to say that it's been, I guess, since September and things have totally like normalized in terms of the schedule. And I feel so much better than I did. And I don't have the brain fog. And I, it's a combination of things. And I'm not saying it was just that, but I have you to thank for really encouraging that move as soon as possible. Oh, I'm so glad. I, I'm so happy. Like whenever a woman liberates herself from that kind of synthetic hormonal suppression, it's like you get yourself back. Um, and I'm so happy that you're feeling good. That's uh, all that I ever want for everybody. Yeah, she's so much more pleasant to be around. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. Selfishly, you're like, yeah, this is great for me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody wants. Ironically, that you say that though, because a lot of people are kind of given the impression that women's moods are better managed when they're on synthetic birth control. But in fact, this, the research shows that it increases rates of depression and anxiety in women. And that's why so often women who take synthetic birth control are then paired up with uh, an SSRI like a Prozac. Mm-hmm. They have to manage this mood destabilization that takes place when you artificially suppress estrogen to such low levels. Estrogen is the hormone that, that gives your brain that positivity and that lift. So not having enough of it can really make you feel crankier. But it's funny that the marketing around our periods is, ooh, your period, your cycle fluctuations, they're going to make you crazy and, right. and, and you know, moody. The pill is a, is a solution for that. It's really... So antithetical. Yeah, it is. So I'm glad well, that I you're guess- seeing it on your side that she's in a better mood because that is actually scientifically what it should be. Well, and I think, yeah, maybe you could make the case if and only if you made the case is because on the pill, you know exactly when you're getting your period. Therefore, you kind of look out for signs and maybe you're managing things based on the calendar alone. But I mean, that would be the only way that I would actually support but that argument. Having a real period. Well, right. Exactly. Have no hormonal changes. It's just like, it's such a, such a crazy... But we talked about that last time. So well, right. But it's actually a good segue. I mean, <laughs> the fact that like there's marketing around, you know, there's all this like scary language around it. Which brings us to the conversation around menopause, which is probably like the scariest language in you know the vocabulary of women's conversations because it's mm. the dreaded M word, and mm. we know that you have a very different look at menopause and what it means. And we are really trying to encourage people to stop treating it as a, as a dirty word, and let's just figure out how to actually get our arms around it. I mean, amen. Yeah. Amen. Yes. So. Let's maybe start by talking about the difference between perimenopause and menopause. Yep. I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> the words are often used interchangeably. And, you know, just like it's, we have this imprecision around referencing menstruation, the menstrual cycle, our period, you know, it doesn't, it's not specific enough. The same thing happens with 
uh, menopause. So here's the arc of your menstruating situation. When you're 12, approximately, you have menarche, which is your very first bleed. Then you are menstrual. Then you have perimenopause, where you have the sort of down regulation of your hormones. And then your very last bleed is called menopause. You don't know if you are postmenopausal until 12 months after that last bleed. You have to clock it or you have to track it. Okay, did I not bleed for 12 months? Okay, now you can consider yourself postmenopausal. But menopause is one week out of your life. It's the last bleed of your life. That's what menopause is. And I think it's important to know hmm. you're, you're either premenopausal or you're postmenopausal. You're either before that last bleed or you are then after that last bleed. It's so, so important to reference those two things because how you take care of yourself is going to be dependent on which of those two sides of the fence you're on. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, one week. One week. One week of your life. And you know it's the week until 12 months after because you have had 12 months pass by. And it has to be 12. Okay, It has to be 12. Yep. That's the definition. Okay. And so then when does perimenopause typically start? Starts at 35. Oh my So God. like surprise, the dreaded <laughs> thing that you think is looming in the future, like you're already, you're in, already it. in it. <laughs> but is it 35? Like how, how is it like it's on your 35th birthday? How is it attributed to a specific age as opposed to something in, internal? Yeah, so like, it's, it's because it's how the pituitary gland is sort of programmed. So just like um, the pituitary gland actually starts to wake up anywhere between ages seven to nine years old to start the slow per- increase in, in uh, production of certain hormone, uh, her- hormone levels that help begin the menstrual years. Uh, the pituitary gland at 35 begins to downregulate the production of these hormones. So it's just a, it's a, pituit- it's a, it's a timing thing. The endocrine system, you can think of it like a, an orchestra of glands, a concert of glands. Everybody plays their instrument, plays their part. Uh, the hormones are the music. The chemical messengers are the music, right? And the pituitary gland is like the um, orchestra director, the right? Conductor. The conductor. There you go. <laughs> and keeping the time, keeping the the organization of all of these things. And so, uh, anytime you're talking about hormones, you have to also be thinking about the concept of time. Interestingly, mm-hmm. so, so so what happens? Um, when you're in perimenopause? Like what are the actual symptoms and signs that you are in it? So there are two phases to perimenopause. I want you to think of it like you actually get really good um, training about how to go through perimenopause every luteal phase. So your luteal phase, when you're in your menstrual years, is your longest phase of the cycle. It's 10 to 12 days before the day of the bleed, right? And the first five, six days of your luteal phase where you're just coming off ovulation, you have any symptoms typically? No. You feel good. You have testosterone. You're in the mood. You have energy. You're focused, etc. The second half of, those, of the luteal phase, the last five days leading up to the start of your bleed, if your hormones are imbalanced, if you're depleted, you will have all the stereotypical symptoms of PMS. This luteal phase monthly experience that you have is a great training ground for you to, to understand what perimenopause will be like for you and where your weaknesses and vulnerabilities are. So from 35 to about, let's say, 
44, 45, right? We'll just use 35 to 45 as an approximation. It varies depending on all sorts of factors like your genetic predisposition and your diet and your stress levels. And I'll talk about a really important study in a minute. Um, 35 to 45 is phase one of perimenopause where like the first half of your luteal phase, you should feel almost no symptoms, right? Your, your period is regular. You still feel like yourself. You know, you're not all of a sudden in old lady land like we all associate menopause with, right? <laughs> and everything is, everything is still flowing the way that it sh- is supposed to. 45 to 55, again, women can stop bleeding at 48, depending on genetic factors. They can have that menopausal bleed at 48. They can have it at 52. But we are designed to be maximally fertile for the maximum amount of time. So it's about 55 is like the tail end of when you would have your last bleed. So 45 to 55, if you haven't taken care of yourself the right way, your hormones, your micronutrient levels, 45 to 55 can be a roller coaster of stereotypical stuff, just like PMS can be a roller coaster of stereotypical symptoms, right? You can have hot flashes, you can have the night sweats, you can gain a lot of weight around your abdomen, you can have vaginal dryness, you can develop migraines, you can feel really like a different person mood wise. And none of that has to be the case, just like PMS does not have to be the case. I think that's the most important thing that I can ever share with women. Yeah, I would like you to repeat that. Right. I'll repeat it again. Yeah. Just like PMS is a hormonal imbalance that you do not need to have any symptoms of, perimenopause does also not need to be symptomatic if you take care of yourself properly. Right. And you don't need, it's not like you're all of a sudden needing synthetic hormone replacement. There's nothing wrong with you. What is supposed to be happening during this phase is that the pituitary gland is going to be secreting higher and higher levels of follicular stimulating hormones. When it reaches a certain threshold, you stop ovulating. Mm -hmm. This would be extremely traumatic on the body if it happened like one day you had normal menstrual levels, reproductive levels of FSH, and then the next day you woke up and you had postmenopausal levels of FSH. It would be too difficult for the body. So you get a glorious approximately 20 years to very slowly, Mm -hmm. extremely microscopically inch along that process so that it is pleasurable and symptom-free for you. So you right. transition from your reproductive years to your postmenopausal years in the smoothest way possible. That's so interesting because if you Google, you know, if you just do a quick search online, menopause, perimenopause, whatever it is, all of these things pop up that are like, you know, uh, the cause, the, the symptoms and the cure, you know, and like how to treat it. <laughs> I was just like, like it's a disease. wait a minute. Is like this- it's a disease disease yeah. or is this like you know it really kind of it, it really well, struck me this here, last right? time like, when I looked at it the I, language yeah. around it is really so it's so negative it makes us feel there's like a shame element there's just a a dread element because that's what the, the vocabulary is yeah it just menopause is associated with and it's it's so funny that you say it starts at exactly 35 because that is exactly when you are told that you are you know if you're trying to you know conceive you're geriatric, right? So right. you enter this new class of, and is it linked tightly to that? I mean, is it, are, are those two related? Yes, directly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes it harder for you technically, although we know that there are so many things you can do to optimize your fertility. Again, nature yeah. wants you to be fertile as long as possible, just because that's how nature procreates. But 
No, you're right. We pathologize uh, everything about women's natural functions. And you're, you guys are focused in on the perimenopausal conversation right now because you're going through it. And you're, you're saying, wow, this is like something that is so negative. But from where I sit, looking at the entire hormonal journey from puberty to postmenopause, it's pathologized the entire way. Mm-hmm. Just like you dreaded getting your period in sex ed class, right? When you were told you were going to get a period, were you like me? Like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Or were you like, oh no, the curse, right? It's, it's, we are indoctrinated in a cultural conversation that dictates that we should uh, believe that our bodies are always in a diseased state that needs some sort of outside support, that need mm-hmm. to be cured, that need to be medicated. And we know that this is true because what is the most commonly performed surgical procedure worldwide that is the penultimate result of this cultural conversation? C-section. Hysterectomy? Ding, ding, ding. Oh, is it? Inter- so let's think yeah. about it this way, right? Good guess. Okay, you're, you're a teenager, your period is bad, let's medicate it. Mm-hmm. Fibroids, let's just keep medicating you. Endometriosis, medicate you. Perimenopause, let's cure you of that. There's nothing to be cured of. We'll go right. into that in a minute. And then boom, all these problems that you were never educated about how to actually properly deal with, so they weren't a bigger problem, then have become that bigger problem. And what is the solution after medication stops working? Remove the Surgery. organ. Oh, Which is insane, insane because it would be like you going to the doctor and saying, gee, I have chronic headaches. Well, let's just medicate you until the point where we can remove your brain. Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing with tonsils. I thought, I thought that was just such a bizarre concept too. It's like, take them out. they keep getting infected. It's like, just take them out. <laughs> Seems like it's just, it's hysterical. Well, it's a little more dramatic with the uterus than the tonsils. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. But, you know, as, as a child, it always struck me too. So, so a question around what you were saying earlier, and I know you wanted to also refer to a specific study and I'm sure we're going to get into this, but I guess when you're saying that from 45 to 55, if you haven't done the, the work in terms of properly taking care of yourself, then these symptoms can certainly become present in a bigger way. In a huge way. And you right. can be miserable. And it, and it is a real phenomenon that women suffer tremendously in that decade. Right. And, and I think the, the like, conversation around it is like, oh, I'm in my you know, mid 40s, early 50s, and all these things are, you know, they're about to happen. You just assume that they will. I guess my question is, is there a point where even if you haven't properly taken care of yourself up until that point, like, is it, is it at some point, is it too late to kind of do the work that will It's help never you? too late. It's just that you may find yourself between kind of like a rock and a hard place from a symptom point of view. Like if you're, if you're up all night dealing with night sweats and then you're all day long having on and off hot flashes and you're just... You're, you're, I mean, having myself been through hormonal imbalance to an extreme where you can't function normally during the day, you do want instant relief. You do want something. Now, in my case, I couldn't have that. So I had to work toward it and it took time. But most of us are accustomed to like, I just want to feel better right now. I can't live another day with like hot flashes and not sleeping at night and all the things. And this is where women are very vulnerable to being, you know, talked into taking synthetic hormones, basically. And you'll see actually that there's, I've, you know, I have celebrity clients and anyway, you'll, you'll hear this conversation being reflected that they should stay on birth control well into their 50s. No, 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 no. Right? Because that, that way they can avoid right. you know, this process. Uh, this is a process to be 
supported and embraced because you do, you, you know, everybody does eventually become postmenopausal. Like it's just a reality. We can't, <laughs> we all are going to get older. We all have to go through that process. Taking the right steps to make sure that you're optimizing that is a key to your longevity, your mental health, your brain health. You know, for example, uh, I'll mention a couple of studies. So back, I think it's now, it's like 10 plus years ago, the National Institute of Health released a very comprehensive study called the BioCycle Study. And it talked about a key finding that is if you don't address your PMS, for example, which is that the same hormonal problem that can crop up during perimenopause, if you don't address these hormonal imbalances in your reproductive years, you increase the risk of cancer, heart disease, and dementia postmenopausally. So what we know is the degree to which you take care of your hormones while you're still cycling is actually the key for you to be a healthy older woman postmenopausally. And I think that that's so important because you have a finite amount of time to put this uh, good investment in your bank account of health and and you want to be doing that. And that includes the perimenopausal years. So if you're, if you're listening and you're in your mid-30s, let's get into action now. If you're in your mid-40s and you're having hot flashes, time to start, right? There's no more time. Let's get going. And I think that's important because we're taught to remain very passive. Like, give me the pill to cure this so that I don't have to deal with it. Your body wants you to deal with it. And there's nothing to be scared of. This is a normal, natural, beautiful process it's the inverse of puberty, right? Puberty is where menstruation opens up. Perimenopause is where menstruation stops. Shut um, it down. Shut it down, <laughs> right? Shut it down. Shut yeah. it down. And all, all, those, all those years where you're building up all that ovulation and estrogen is actually protecting your bones and your brain and your heart in your postmenopausal years. It, it's a beautiful process. We should not be interrupting it. So how do we address it? So how, what are the things that we can do to make sure that we you know, get our PMS in check and we're not having these crazy hormonal uh, fluctuations? So I guess the first thing to do is you know, really take stock of what your symptoms are, right? So track uh, your symptoms. Are you dealing with any PMS uh, right now that is moderate to extreme? And where are you in the journey? Are you 35 to 45? Or are you 45 to 55? You kind of have to like do a quick little mini audit of taking stock of where you're at in the, in the perimenopausal arc. And then what are your symptoms? And if you're in phase one, to me, that's the ideal time to start, which is 35 to 45. Look at your PMS. What is happening right before you bleed every month? How bad is it? How how indicative, how, how are your symptoms pointing to the disparity between estrogen to progesterone? So with the luteal phase, you're supposed to produce more progesterone than estrogen, and this will prevent you from having any PMS symptoms. But often because of diet and lifestyle factors, we, don't, we underproduce progesterone and we overproduce estrogen and we have all the symptoms. If you are showing, exhibiting symptoms, bloating, acne, breast tenderness, mood swings, etc., low libido, 35 to 45 in your luteal phase, that's a great indication that A, you need to start doing something now. And B, if you don't, you're going to have those symptoms all the time, 45 to 55, right? It's giving you a a warning, a preview of what's to come. 
So what do you do if you're in that first phase? What can you start doing once you take stock? What are your um, symptoms like, Zoe? Yeah. I'm just curious. I have to say, I don't really... Um, knock on wood, I, I'm like really regular. I mean, I could set my kind of watch to it. But my symptoms, I don't know. I mean, I think at the most, um, I would say I get like kind of bloated. Sometimes I get a little like lower back achy. Yeah, um, but that's it. I don't really have like cramps. I don't get, I, I don't get a ac- little magnesium sorts you out. Your yeah, friend, you know. Yeah. But did you ever have any period problems? I think when we talked the first time, you, you indicated that you always had a really easy period, which you know, nature's bell curve. There are what I call the unicorn bleeders, where they have just magical, healthy, healthy periods. <laughs> I, think I, be a t-shirt. I, think I think I remember you being one of those. We should make I'm you a t-shirt. Uni- yeah, I want to be a unicorn bleeder. Yeah. You are not, though. <laughs> I was not, but it's I think so in much high better. school, I think in high school and college, I definitely remember being a lot crampier. Mm-hmm. But I no, I don't have, uh, and I noticed, I, and I noticed then that if I exercise, I, I would never get cramps. I would literally get. Just almost undetectable. Yeah. So, but when I did it, I would, I would really. Do so, it. so in your situation, right? Looking at your past history is another important part of the audit. Like you yeah. should expect your perimenopausal journey to be relatively low symptom. Hey, to a fortune yes. teller. Oh my god, it really is. <laughs> I'm a bleeding unicorn, and <laughs> you're going to have a pretty decent perimenopause. Like you may need at most. And I'll go through some of the su- the supplements and things I like to recommend for me. Like at most for you. Yeah, you might need a little maca, mm-hmm. maca. A, little, a little, a little evening primrose or a little maca. You, you know, okay, what does the maca do for the? Oh, all sorts of things. We'll, like, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, that that may be all that you need. It's an yeah. adaptogen. It helps. It helps your body regulate hormonally when, as you're going through this downshifting because your your FSH is going to go up like everyone's will during perimenopause, and you will at some point reset to new lower levels of estrogen and progesterone output that will be instead of fluctuating over a 30-day cycle, will just be sort of like your everyday levels, your baseline levels, and they won't fluctuate. And you have to adjust to this. Given that you make the transition from the luteal phase to the bleed, which is when the estrogen and progesterone drops off to its lowest levels without symptoms, you are likely going to have a very smooth transition that may need very minimal support, which is really good for you to know. Oh, another thing I just thought of, and maybe it's not connected, but looking back again on my menstrual history, um, I would say from the age of 17 to 20 is the only time in my life that I've been on the pill. And that is the time when I had the cramping and sort Mm. of most um, severe uh, PMS symptoms. There you go. Yeah. So I think it's really important that you... Keep in mind that for you, you know, synthetic stuff, hormone replacement, not for you. Didn't work for your body then. It's not going to work for your body in the future. Right, right. So that's you. That's That's looking to the you're looking into your ovarian crystal ball. That that's what you can look forward to. And if you have any flare up of symptoms, right now, listen. Does that mean you're never going to get a hot flash? You're never going to get a night sweat? No, you're going to get a couple of those. Yeah, but you shouldn't. I'm going to use this with the spelling of ovary. You shouldn't overreact. Oh, <laughs> oh nice one. Wow. Wow. No, wow. You shouldn't overreact to symptoms based on what you're being marketed, 
right? You're being marketed that that is a big problem. But for you, that's a, that's a normal part of down, estrogen downregulating. A couple of hot, I had hot flashes after I gave birth. You may remember having those too. Oh, yeah. I had all, nice those, that, all that estrogen leaving your body is going to give you a hot flash or two, a night sweat. Nobody yeah. postpartum tells you you need to take synthetic hormones, do they? No. No. But they do post prevent, you know, premenopausally because it's, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Right. But, you know, so for you, expect a few disturbances, so to speak, in terms of symptoms, but nothing that you would need to do anything massive about aside from taking a few adaptogens, some herbs, some PFAs, things of that nature to just even you out. Okay. My biggest fear about menopause, perimenopause, and slowly, gradually creeping towards this um, moment time is uh, around sex. Let's yeah. talk about sex. That's my libido specifically, it's, it's right? About, yes, it's about libido. It's about Imaginal dryness. Let's say, let's yeah. say what we say. Let's say, like, yeah, it's gonna all dry up and go away, and you're gonna. I know. It's like a dried up old lady. Cobwebs are gonna smoke. It's gonna billow <laughs> out. I'm in China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like really worried that I'm suddenly gonna have like no libido. Real and, talk. Okay, yeah. let me let me just let me just change your life. Okay, here you go. Well, Science is our friend. I love it. Love she does mind. it all the time. I sort of, that's why you have me back. I know. <laughs> okay. Your sex drive is supposed to get, is supposed to increase as you, as you get older, as a female. That, how, how is that biologically? Like, because sense to me. your testosterone levels shift in relationship to, you don't have them fluctuating cyclically. You have more sustainable levels of testosterone. And in fact, because estrogen is lower to protect bone density, you produce a little bit more testosterone, which is why, let's say, older women stereotypically will have a little bit more facial hair, things of that nature. It's the testosterone increase. You don't have to have the, you don't have to have the facial hair because okay. it's also a sign of hormonal imbalance. But your body is shifting into a new hormonal reality in which you have more testosterone available on a consistent basis, as opposed to during your menstruating years, your reproductive years, you only have testosterone really two times a month, right? Around ovulation and, and kind of at the beginning of your luteal phase. This is when you're most in the mood for sex, where you need the least stimulation to, to generate climax versus other times of the cycle. And why do you have testosterone then? Of course, because to have a baby, right? To, to ensure that but then once you're free of that cyclical, productive, say, biological drive, you are then going to be interested in sex more continuously, more regularly, if you take care of yourself. Now, I want to talk about that second study that I alluded to. The New York Times, two years ago, we wrote a whole, we did a whole expose on this because it was just so groundbreaking, finally, because it's so rare that we get research that's specifically done on our hormones that whenever it does come out, it's like everybody needs to know about it. So they found, a study found that women who in their perimenopausal years, let's say phase one, ate salmon and legumes, like so oily fish and beans twice a week, just twice a week, two servings a week of each. They lengthened the time between their perimenopausal journey and their very last bleed. They delayed menopause by two to three years. Wow. Beans and fish twice a week, you get to have your period longer, more of these hormones for two to three years. 
it's huge news. It's hugely important news. So if you don't think, if you're not convinced yet that changing your diet today, if you're 25 or 35, is going to pay dividends big time for your hormones and your health later on, hope that study helps you wrap your head around yeah, the fact absolutely. that it's time, to, it's time to change your inputs to get better health outputs as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like what um, you're inputting in your mouth. Yeah, food inputs. Yeah. yeah. Is there a dietary protocol or recommendation specifically around libido? Like I, I know actually maca is supposed to be good for... Maca is great. You know, anything that's going to boost your essential fatty acid levels. So fish oil, walnuts, so those omega-3 fatty acids are critical. Vasodilators are, are very helpful for women. What is that? So those are things that um, open up the blood flow. So like hot hot peppers are a vasodilator. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly like those, but turns out watermelon is a vasodilator. Mm-hmm. So you could eat... I actually have a recipe on our blog at Flow Living for a, a sexy libido boosting salad. And it's like watermelon and all these things you would never put together. But like, I always recommend if you're, if you're planning a romantic night, have that the day before. <laughs> what <laughs> about know? like a spicy watermelon margarita? Uh, minus the the booze because because alcohol in the years. I mean, I hate, I'm not trying to be like a a party pooper at all because I am one to fully enjoy life. But if you're dealing with symptoms, alcohol will slow the, the metabolism of estrogen down in your body, making you more symptomatic and is pretty toxic for your brain health long-term. As we know now that, you know, there used to be this, the, the study was, oh, it's okay for women to have two glasses of wine a week. Now it's, it's, there is no safe level of alcohol for women to be consuming, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Can't, the cancer risk, all of that. And then, of course, from a sex drive point of view, it, it's, a, it's a dampener. It's, it's a downer. It's not going to excite right. the body and the nerve endings. It's going to numb them out. So it doesn't do your orgasmic response any good, which is ironic because, listen, I'm a mom. You guys are... One of you is a mom, and you know the, the, I get it at this point. I, I never used to understand. I was like, why? Why do moms have like my mom? She would always have a glass of wine, like especially on the weekends at the end of the day. She'd be like, oh, I need a glass of wine, and she would always be instantly in a better mood. I never really understood that. Now I have a kid. I get it. I'm you sorry. Know? It is not exclusive to moms. Let's it's just... not. You're right. It's, not. it's like <laughs> but, you're let me tell you what. where you're like, I'm so it's busy. You yeah. want that instant gratification of like, I want to just like turn off the worry and the stress mode. And I want to like relax into my body. Problem is that the alcohol is so nutrient depleting and then right. it's happening to your side. It's like a vicious cycle that we need to find ways to get out of that stress mode and more into our bodies without it. You know, but I get it. I get it. I get that it, it can feel like instant gratification. But yeah. orgasm would be a better use of your time. Generating yeah. climax would be a better way for you to de-stress than a glass of wine. Certainly more health promoting. Right. Which I think is interesting because I feel like some people would probably make the argument that while the actual orgasm itself is what will ultimately be the most beneficial, actually getting there is the challenge, right? And exactly. it's the right. desire and the drive to get there. And sometimes the wine acts as like the, you know, the social lubricant to right. actually yeah, close the deal. So you. You know, it sounds like, cycle. that sounds like nature's plan to me. <laughs> well, so that's the trade-off is, you know, if you're will, if you, if you, you have to figure out, and you know, this is, this is an interesting conversation because I'm, I'm in the thick of this myself to real talk. Right. So we have to figure out as women, as we 
um, take on more roles in our lives as we go through the aging process, right? It, you know, in your 40s, you have a career, you have family, you have relationships, you have friends, you have all these things that you're doing. We have to figure out um, a way for that to be sustainable so that when we want to be in the mood, we, we don't have to use some sort of substance to help relax our nervous system, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what the alcohol is doing. It's kind of like relaxing your nervous system a little bit so you kind of get a little bit more in your body. And then you're like, oh yeah, I have a body. I'm not just all my thoughts and my to-do list. I have a body. My body wants to be touched. I'm in the mood now. But then when you go to have the encounter, your clitoris is dulled and your orgasmic potential is lessened. And then you're kind of like, well, I wanted that to be better, but you know, that's not really like the trade-off that you want to be making. So right. I think it's I think you're raising an important challenge. Uh, do I do I purport to have the solution to that at this time? No, I'm still figuring that out for myself. But I do I don't personally use alcohol because I can't break it down. So I'm 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 tr- I'm experimenting with all sorts of different ways. Like how what's my thing to help me get out of like work brain, mom brain, right. stress brain so that I can be in my body. Do you have any tips that you can share? I have a couple of things that are working. You have personally done that I am more. personally doing. The, the things that help me more? Yeah. Uh, I, I do two things. It's really silly, actually. <laughs> the first thing is a little bit of a Mr. Rogers thing. I like change my outfit. I'll yep. put on something that makes me feel, I don't know, like sexy. just feel myself. Not even sexy. It's not like lingerie. It's like I might just, instead of wearing like my blazer and jeans like that I wear to work, I might put on like a maxi dress at home. Right. That's like the first thing. Just just the visual of that and the feel yeah. of that. It's like a little bit of a marker. And because I do it consistently, my brain is like, oh, okay, we're switched right. gears. It's the same thing. It's a little ritual. Rituals are helpful. Because I'm not really like a candles and lingerie person. Right. But if you are, do that. That's cool too. And then because I tend to be so cerebral, as you may guess from talking to me... <laughs> Um, I, I do need to actually activate my body to get in my body. So I will put on some music and just try to dance for like one song. Sometimes one song feels like a big stretch for me. Yeah. Right, I'm just going to make it through one song. And if I can just make it through one song, I know... Because it's, it's not my nature. It's my nature is to be up here in my yeah. head. Right. But it really does help. And, no, then, I, yeah. and then I will go and I will touch my husband. Not like sexually. I'll just be like, give me a hug. And he'll just just... Physically touching another person that yeah. isn't like my child is like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm a bi, I'm a man here. Okay, you know, the, I help my brain go from thinking to feeling. Right. Well, you get it's into your body. It's a three-step process that yeah. I use to just help me get back into my body. There are many ways to do it. That's what I'm playing with right now that works. It's the movement nice. thing is interesting though. I've heard that someplace else. I listened to a, a podcast with um, like a you know, it was a sexual therapist, and her recommendation had to do with like put on music that you love and literally just just move your body. It doesn't even have to be dancing; you just have yeah, to yeah, move just move your body differently. Yeah, I don't think what I'm doing is dancing. Well, right, <laughs> and nobody's judging you, and nobody's looking. Nobody's at you. watching. You so are dancing on your own, like what's her face, Ciara. But here, but the other thing, yes. which I, I I spoke extensively about in the sex chapter of Woman Code is that actual regular self-pleasuring is an essential part of not only helping you more quickly be able to shift into, let's say, being in the mood, but it's also an important ingredient in protecting your sex drive as you go through perimenopause, right? The use it or lose it conversation. Mm -hmm. So often when we're 35 to 55, we're also dealing with 
pregnancies and postpartum and breastfeeding, which has its own vaginal dryness you know, concert happening there. Then you get into life stress and, you know, all sorts of things. Divorce, you may not be in a place where you're having regular sexual encounters. Hormonal fluctuations can, uh, if you're not taking care of your perimenopausal hormones, can really dampen your sex drive, even though that's not what it's supposed to be. And you're not having sex either, right? So it can become this stereotypical thing that we all fear. So using food, using supplements, uh, but also actually using self-pleasure because self-pleasure is the action, but what you're using is, let's say, orgasm as medicine. Mm-hmm. And I say orgasm, not climax. So in the book, I talk about the difference between orgasm versus climax. We could do a whole conversation just about sex, but I will just say that in the, in the difference between orgasm and climax is during orgasm, you are building up oxytocin and nitric oxide. These chemicals are very, very beneficial to your body in terms of reducing inflammation, boosting hormone production, increasing libido, boosting immunity, improving vaginal tone, all of the things that you want to keep flourishing during the perimenopausal transition. So self-pleasuring is the activity. You would do this without a vibrator. Vibrators short circuit the 8,000 nerve endings and you get to climax too quickly. Climax is when it's Mm -hmm. like the big finish and you're done, and then you have the refractory recovery period, and you can't touch your clitoris for a while, you want to spend the maximum amount of time in orgasmic plateau. So if climax is a 10, you want to try to give yourself 15 to 20 minutes between a 6 and an 8. Right. That's a long time. You can't do that with a vibrator. Right? Okay, so vibrators are no bueno. They're, oh, they're totally bueno well, they're, for fun. Okay, but if you're yeah. going to use orgasm as a therapeutic tool right. to yeah. balance during perimenopause, you want to have a couple of times a week where you're doing it vibrator free. I love it. Orgasm so it's, therapy. It's, it's literally like, like masturbation therapy and um, masturbation medicine. Masturbation Ooh. medicine. It is. It's so yeah. take nice your take your sex it. supplements. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's funny that it just it's like sex begets sex. So the more you do it, the more you. Now there are there are instances where postmenopausally you can experience a little bit of thinning of the lining of the vagina, um, some dryness. That's totally normal. There are some wonderful products now on the market. Um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Northrup's uh, Amata line for vaginal dryness. Um, it's is that uh, just like a topical, like a lube. It's a topical, and um, it it also is an oral where you can uh, take this particular herb that she isolated from, I think, somewhere in Southeast Asia that can be really beneficial for postmenopausal women for this particular issue. Because again, what is plumping the the lining of the vaginal tissue or the the tissue itself? It's estrogen. When you are now in your postmenopausal years and you have less overall estrogen, you should expect to have some thinning there. The more you use it, the more collagen will be produced. It'll stay plump and thick. But if you use it less, you may find that you need to have a support product uh, like the one in the Amata line, I think is really great uh, for that. What other foods and supplements, just like if you could give a quick list to people that just want something super tactical? So in... Not for sex, but just in for general. Yeah. For phase one perimenopause, like all women should take a B-complex. Uh, B6 is a particularly important part of the B complex because it helps produce progesterone production, which you need during perimenopause as that starts to decrease. 
magnesium, magnesium glycinate, glycinate. specific because yeah. you don't get the laxative effect, but it supports the production of follicular stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone and thyroid stimulating hormone, the critical hormones that signal the other glands in the endocrine system to perform optimally. And uh, you know, how many women do you know with a thyroid issue? It's one in two, right? And oh, it can become so more problematic as you get older because you have more stress levels and uh, you know, adrenaline and cortisol uh, you know, impair thyroid performance. So magnesium glycinate, critical. You need a liver detoxifier. And I don't typically recommend extreme ones like caldeglucurate or DIM or even milk thistle for every woman because that's only indicated in certain situations. But your liver, you want to think of it as feeding it micronutrients that it has to have on hand to do the pathways of elimination. It needs C, vitamin C. It needs vitamin A. It needs selenium. It needs glutathione. So you need to have, it needs alpha lipoic acid. So you need, you need some super liver foods that will help your liver do its job so that you don't have to be in a position where you have to take a more extreme right. detoxifier. You want something that's more everyday. So do you like seeds or stuff like that? Like pumpkin seeds I know are super high in selenium or Brazil nuts? Um, yeah, Brazil nuts are good. Uh, yeah, all the seeds are good. Any of your fresh fruits and vegetables, juices contain high levels of glutathione. Any fresh fruit has vitamin C, you know, carrots, vitamin A, sweet root vegetables, things like that. Uh, eating liver, like, you know, organ meats, a huge way to support liver health is eating, if you can get access to organic organ liver, um, mm. is so helpful. But if, you, if that's something that you're not comfortable with, you, know, you need to find a supplement that's going to give you some of these things as well. Mm-hmm. Probiotics, really critical. Healthy microbiome is so important for managing hormonal conditions. And it's especially true as you enter perimenopause. As you age, you, you also absorb less micronutrients from your food. So in order for you to have optimal gut health and to absorb all your micronutrients, you got to take a probiotic. And also they help es- metabolize um, estrogen. Mm-hmm. So like the women's formula specific, I mean, are those generally... Uh, is that... Is that marketing bullshit or is that actually... Uh, no, I mean, well, that's a whole other conversation about vaginal, like the vaginal microbiome. <clears throat> so, you know, gut flora is gut flora. Vaginal flora is vaginal flora. If you're somebody who's struggling, which can happen, which we didn't really touch on, as you go through perimenopause, due to the fluctuations in estrogen, you can have more increased risk of UTIs, BV, and yeast infections, right? So there, there are specific probiotics that are that you would take orally that will help with vaginal flora balance. So that's a whole that's a whole other mm-hmm. conversation, but um, you can easily find those. But a, a gut probiotic is separate, uh, and you might have to take both, which is right. fine. Episode yeah. three, vaginal flora. Can't wait <laughs> for the vagine episode. Well, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's really, again, you may have already experienced this postpartum. A lot of women postpartum have like a very short period of like BV or a yeast infection or more increased UTIs because their estrogen levels are lower. Um, and it, it, it clears up. Um, you don't need to take heavy medication to address it. You need to think about, you know, using things like the, the bacteria strain that is really good for UTIs, for example, is L. crispatus. Jaro Formulas makes the only probiotic in the United States, actually, that's available in the United States that contains this that you take mm-hmm. orally. I recommend it to people all the time as it's just so what is the name? useful. 
the bacteria, they, they all have like silly little names like L, capital L, period, and then Crispatus, C-R-I-S-P-A-T-U-S. That's the one for UTIs. There's another one, the name is escaping me for yeast infections that, you know, uh, is is also part of any sort of... Anytime you see like a women's probiotic, typically they're talking about the vaginal microbiome. And even though you're not inserting that vaginally, and please don't be tempted to insert your probiotics vaginally because these capsules are always enterically coated, which means the acid level in your vagina is not high enough to break down the capsule and you will have a backlog of probiotic oh, capsules man. in your Maybe vagina. Don't do it. Don't do random there. things in your vagina. I mean, people do all sorts. Really listen, it's a good. The instinct is good. Right. It should right. be. Speak to should the source. Have that nobody's manufacturing it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. But don't put don't put things that are enterically coated in your vagina. Just a little hack there. Okay. <laughs> and then um, the other other food, you know, things to be eating would be anything that's high in omega three fatty acids. Uh, and and vitamin D, so get, making sure you get some safe sun exposure, uh, and then having that you know fish with like salmon, things like that, egg yolks, things that are going to give you that omega three fatty acid, avocados, all of that is going to be so helpful. In fish and beans twice a week. Yeah, beans, fish and beans. If you still need support and you're kind of in phase two, here are some other things you can do. You're having like irregular periods, you know, or you're in phase one and you're having fertility struggles and you want to get pregnant in phase one, 35 to 45, uh, or you're in phase two and things are a little too intense. Vitex, uh, which is one of the oldest studied uh, herbs used for women, for we've been using it for at least recorded history for over a thousand years. It's extremely safe. It, it works on the on the pituitary gland by helping to increase progesterone levels in the body. So it's great for the perimenopausal journey. It's great for fertility struggles in the first half of perimenopause. It supports regular ovulation and healthy hormone levels. So that's really great. Oh, I've uh, heard of that. Vitex is the name of the herb. It's not... Vitex is the name of the herb. It's also oh. referred to as chaste tree. Chaste tree. Huh. Yeah. Vitex. So there's that. Then maca, as we talked about before, it, it w- absolutely helps even out any energy dips, brain fog, stamina, libido drops in the second half of perimenopause. It uh, helps improve any symptoms of, de- of depression. A lot of women in the second half of perimenopause, 45 to 55, as estrogen reaches sort of its more new normal of lower levels, feel like they they, they may interpret themselves as feeling like more depressed. They're not actually having clinical depression, but what they're noticing is the absence of lots of estrogen, which in your reproductive years, especially during ovulation, really makes you feel social and verbal and positive and like, you know, those types of things. So if that's happening, maca is a huge support, just even things out for you in in a really nice way. It's good um, for men too, right? For looking- it's good, yeah. It's good for it's good for men too, and poor men. We haven't talked about them, but well, what I will we'll say is, the same question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what I will say is, men begin andropause. Okay, uh, so it's like basically manopause. Yep. Okay. At twenty-five. Ah. Oh. Okay. So. So. so what does that, that mean? That means that, like, by the time you're like super hot to trot. With your like libido in your forties, right? 
your man is like, I need a nap. I need to go. I need to go to bed early. I am tired, and he's really struggling with his libido. So I actually think men at thirty-five, at, if not thirty-five, definitely by forty, should start taking maca to help with that. And there's some other herbs that are really helpful for testosterone production in men, like tribulus, that can be really beneficial for lagging sex drive. It's not like you know, yes, their testosterone is lower, but they don't need synthetic hormones either. And in fact, I find it really dangerous to have men applying testosterone cream on their bodies around their wives and their children because it's, as you read the insert, not safe to be handled by women and children. So, you know, that's a whole other thing. And I'd rather have men be supported in using adaptogens to help them with their testosterone production. There are even products now in the market that have just been released that um, give men a boost of nitric oxide naturally. What? Why nitric oxide? Nitric oxide, the 1992 molecule of the year is the what Viagra is made from, right? Um, it is a vasodilator specifically affecting the penis in terms of its erectile function, right? You can take supplemental nitric oxide as a man before a workout, before you're going to have a night out with your wife or your girlfriend in a safe supplemental way that isn't going to give you some sort of like monster <laughs> erection. Seven hour boner. boner. Yeah, exactly. So does nitric oxide also work for women in the same way? Is it about like... It hasn't been... It, women, it, this is a new product to the market. It's probably been out for a year. Um, I'd love to see more women give it a try because yes, I think it would absolutely help. And not um, to be confused with response. nitrous oxide, which is... Nitrous oxide is laughing gas at the dentist. Yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> okay, so how, how do you get nitric oxide? Get, there's a supplement. Pure, pure, pure Encapsulations is making a nitric oxide. Oh, really? Powder. I love that brand. Okay. Yeah, it's a great brand. Pop it in some water. Boom. Hey, date night. Hey, date night. A little watermelon, a little nitric oxide <laughs> supplement. Some hot peppers. Meat game clitoral stimulation. You're hot to trot. What does that say just in terms of our... It just seems so strange to me that women are hitting their sexual peak. I, I don't know if you call it peak, but it's yeah. sort of revving up in their old, you know, yeah. older years. And, and yeah. men, so... It's so the uh, Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher phenomenon. This is actually... I mean, why isn't there more of that type of relationship going on? I guess... Oh, well, that, well, then we're going to have a whole conversation about gender politics. Social power, stigma, you know, yeah. You know, the power dynamics of the patriarchy. That's the, But that's why you see more women who are celebrities who have complete financial freedom are in a position where they do take younger lovers because their sex drives are more matched. Okay, this might have to be. This I don't know if it's a full episode, episode, but it maybe is a minute. Maybe a private conversation. (laughs) (laughs) It's very interesting. Okay. So, I mean, we're getting a little off the reservation somewhat, although it's so fun to talk about sex. But I mean, I want to make sure that if you're listening for perimenopausal purposes, that you know what to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think the stress piece is important too. I love ashwagandha as another adaptogen for women in either stage one, 35 to 45, or stage two, really, it's research actually suggests that it's an effective way to build up resistance to stress. Mm-hmm. So as more stress comes in in your life, uh, you're better able to respond without having a major disruption in your endocrine system. So kind of like the more you take it, the better right. you are at like you're a stress ninja. So good. Um, and I think I, that's actually important to point out with adaptogens in general, like the more that you're in your, they're, they're, that they're in your system. The yes, it's a long game. Uh, it's, it's not a quick fix. It's, it, you're playing right. a long game with that. 
it's a load that you have to build. Exactly. So those are some of my key, you know, perimenopause things to think about. I think if you are dealing with hot flashes, if you're dealing with night sweats, we're talking about mega dosing on certain micronutrients like omega-3 fatty acids. You may experiment with taking Dong Quay, for example. These things are researched, well-documented to help reduce hot flashes and night sweats. But, you know, and you have to play with it. That's the other thing that I think women find a little frustrating in my experience of working with them is that they want to feel better immediately. And I want them to feel better immediately too. But the fact of the matter is, as you just said, these herbs and adaptogens take time to build up a load in the body. And then you have to sort of titrate, okay, I need a little bit more Dong Quay. I see that it's starting to work. Now I know if I have a little bit more, I'll feel more of a relief in my hot flashes, right? Or, you know, okay, more omega-3 fatty acids are actually, for example, here's another symptom that women don't, doesn't get discussed much, but having dry eyes is a symptom of perimenopause, right? So producing less lubrication ocularly. So omega-3 fatty acids are really helpful for that as well as vaginal dryness, as well as um, uh, preventing uh, hot flashes and night sweats. But uh, so is another herb that that I've just been using recently, which is really helpful for the dry eye, which is maquis berry which you maybe have seen as a new superfood out in the market. So you have to kind of start to think about ways to play with these superfood supplements to get yourself through this little bit of a transition. And then once you have had your 12 months of post, of your, in your postmenopausal phase, you don't need to be using this many supplements and herbs. Mm-hmm. You can really think about switching from a perimenopause management protocol to a postmenopausal anti-aging or longevity, I would prefer to say a longevity protocol, which is a whole different conversation. So this is a short period of time where you're going to be using extra supplements, extra adaptogens, really reducing sugar in your diet, reducing caffeine, reducing alcohol, reducing anything that's going to cause a disturbance in your homeostatic balance so that you can get through the transition that is supposed to happen with the least amount of symptoms, right? So and, and it's important for you to shift your thinking about it because we don't judge puberty the same way, right? right. We're like, yeah, they're going through puberty. They're going to have some pimples. They're going to be cranky. They're going to need a lot of sleep. They're going to be like looking weird for a few days, you know? And we don't judge that. We, don't, we certainly don't try to medicate it. And we don't think that it's taking too long. Right. Right. But... Yeah. We do that for perimenopause. Right. And so that is just the stigma around women aging in the first place. Exactly. You have to unhook that piece of it to then just start to mother yourself, which is what your body is really asking you to do. Like just give yourself a little extra TLC. But you'll get through it fine. Get through it fine. It's going to be great. You promise. (laughs) You promise. And in fact, it's a lot to look forward to because... Um, just as your reproductive years has a lot of hormonal gifts available to you, which is why I was so eager for you to get off the pill so you could experience them, right? Um, in terms of creativity and productivity and all these things. Postmenopausally, you have huge advantages if you set yourself up properly, you know, uh, in terms of your brain health, in terms of your, your creativity and productivity there too, right? You're just always becoming a better version of yourself as a woman. And that's the thing I think I wish every woman could hear if they got lost somewhere in our conversation. Biology has set you up to be perpetually remade as a better version of yourself 
as you go through your life cycle. I love that. Tweetable moment. Tweetable moment for sure. Too bad neither one of us tweets. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly have a platform. So um, that is very well put. Thank you for that. And I'm going to ask you one sort of side question. Not that side, but what do you think about mushrooms as adaptogens? And oh, I love that. Oh, I so, love that. I mean, what there's about cordyceps. Is that helpful for? I mean, it's, I mean, I love reishi for stabilizing blood sugar. I love cordyceps are great for stress. I mean, there, there, you can't. There's a there's a new product I found at Cap Beauty in the city. It's called Damba, and it has like every single mushroom and some maca. And I just thought, what a great product that someone put that all together in a nice, convenient supplement form supplement. for people. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Well, we're actually unbelievably out of time on this, on this topic. Which... I hope we answered all the questions. I mean, I feel like we could oh, yeah. oh, God. continue to keep going. And I feel like we want to direct people to your books and your site, which yes. is slowliving.com. Yeah. And encourage people to read your books because there's obviously just a huge amount of information available there. And you're such an incredible resource. Thank you. I think what women don't know about their... Uh, sexual response process is um, a big problem in our sexual satisfaction. And it would be uh, a really good thing for us to learn more about that. Um, But yeah, if you're struggling with your hormones, please, I built the world's first and only modern menstrual healthcare company so that women could stop having like no support around these issues because it's ridiculous that it's almost 2020 and there's wellness, wellness everywhere. But women are not feeling that much better. In fact, from my point point of view, hormonal problems are getting worse and worse. And there's wellness, wellness everywhere and tons of content, but yet not enough about the things that are essential to our specific journey in these female bodies. Mm -hmm. So come to Flow Living if you need some help. We're here to help. It shouldn't be so hard. It should be easier. No, it should not. Well, you are certainly doing God's work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elisa. Until next time. Thanks, will- ladies, for having me as yeah. always. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.